my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys are having a fantastic week. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my brother, Tyler Grant. Always a great time talking to Ty. And uh, we covered a lot. We talked about Deutsche Bank predicting a uh, another recession for 2023. Uh, we talked about Elon Musk joining Twitter's board of directors and what's going to uh, all shake out over there. Uh, and we covered a whole bunch of stuff. I think you guys will enjoy it. Before I get to Ty, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. Uh, if you're an iTunes user, please take a couple seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right. Without further ado, the great Tyler Grant. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Tyler Grant. Ty, it's been a while, man. How you been? It's been a while. It's been busy, like everybody else, man, trying to keep uh, keep all the balls in the air. But staying busy, enjoying it, and certainly enjoying the fight that the red wave is coming, my friend. Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, obviously I see on Instagram all the time you're just flying planes all over the place. That is like, uh, I must say, that's like a boss hobby to just adopt at age 30 or <laughs> however old you are. Like, I just hunt and fish all the time like a redneck. You know what I mean? Like, I hopefully one day, is I, one day I come up with, like, some bizarre just boss move hobby to adopt. I'll tell you, man, it is a, uh, you know, I honestly could not tell you what made me want to try it for the first time uh, about, you know, right at the beginning. I guess it was the beginning of 2021 and decided I wanted to jump into it and try it. Did one of the just went ahead and just skipped the discovery flight. You know, the whole thing where you go up for a minute and they kind of let you touch the controls and they're like, hey, you want to try this out? I was just like, let's just go ahead and just do a lesson. See how it goes. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, man, like the second you push the throttle all the way in and an airplane starts moving down the runway and you know, when you're usually like sitting in the back and you're like, Oh, thank God we're number one to take off, you know? And now it's, uh, you know, you feel yourself take off and you're looking for 65 and at 65, like you're still on the ground, but you're kind of simmering a little bit, but at 65, you, you pull it back to give yourself, you know, that really first element of lift and dude, that feeling when you just whoop and you're suddenly like 70, 80 feet off the ground in like two seconds, that is a pretty cool feeling, man. And ever since then, I've really just, really leaned in and enjoyed it because i mean honestly get the pilot the private pilot's license in order to like fly to cool places to go hunting and fishing so that's, there you go there you go oh that's awesome man you're gonna have to take me up in the plane at some point it sounds absolutely terrifying. absolutely it'll be great so dude we have to start with some uh some unsettling news um because that's what we do here on the no gimmicks podcast deutsche bank is predicting a recession in 2023 um, obviously I could have told you that, <laughs> but people are paying attention now that, that Deutsche is, is raising the alarm. Um, they're predicting the stock market will, will drop, uh, 20%, at least 20%, uh, before summer 2023, they're predicting, uh, unemployment around 5%. Um, you know, you know me, buddy, I, I'm a, I'm just a, a wide eyed optimist over here. So I have to say, it's probably gonna be a lot worse than that <laughs> if I had to guess, but what do you make of the, of the first, you know, big bank predicting another recession? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I do I do securitizations for a living, and I, you know, I practice law and 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 work with a bunch of the the big banks, and and you know, I can kind of see the deal flow, see the type of assets that are coming in. You know, I do I do a lot of housing, do a lot of auto loans. You know, we do crop loans, do all the all the different types of of structures and asset classes, and you know, has there been like a little bit of a a, a pullback? Sure, have there been some like pricing issues you know as, as you know before you bring something to market that thing's priced within you know a, a day or so right. and then the deal is like has like a very very tight closing trajectory has there's been some issues as people like wanting to hold back the cash and from conversations that i've had that has been in some in some extent people are just trying to save um some liquidity in case there's just better asset classes that come along or, you know, asset pools, sorry, that come along um, in the next couple of months, rather than people being like, I'm strapped and I actually cannot afford to get in this deal. Right. So on the one hand, I think there is some 
honest outlook of people like you and I that are looking around being like, there's a lot of people that are not working and how are they affording to continue operating their lives as they are? And the answer is either they somehow, they somehow mysteriously had a bunch of cash that they were sitting on and they're spending that cash and down the road, they're not going to have that cash if they don't continue working of which if they started working again, we're going to see a market increase because these people are going to reenter the workforce. We're going to have unemployment going down, people having more cash and, and liquidity in the work and the, and, and the ecosystem. That's, that's great. Or they're spending a lot of money on credit and they have no real plans for how to adjust for this. And they're kind of cascading towards like a crazy recession type situation where from a consumer perspective, we're going to get absolutely nuked, but there being just tons of people foreclosing on their homes, having their cars, you know, taken from them and repoed and all that different stuff. So I, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic because of the people that are sort of the 2008 people. I think those guys had no idea what was going on. And when the nuclear bomb went off of like Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers, yeah. everybody kind of looked around each other like, well, wait a minute. What, what do our books really look like? And you had you had big monsters in the space realizing that all the paper that they were holding was, you know, not worth the dog shit that you could have put on them. But now I think you're having a lot of people that are way more conservative and conscientious about what's going on and what's going into some of these instruments. And so I'm, I'm a little more optimistic from that perspective. That being said, the amount of people that are just not doing anything like we've talked about or the amount of times where you say, hey, you know, I want to buy X, Y, Z. And it's like, oh, by the way, we don't have any of those products, you know, see you in six months. That economic cost is a real economic cost for everyone. Yeah. And I, I think that that we're going to see some effects of, um, you know, the stock market, you know, up, down, you know, whatever, like the actual health and underlying health of the companies is what I've tried to pay attention to. And I think a lot of companies are a lot healthier than they otherwise were in like a 2008, for example, where everybody's everybody's paper or everybody's like value was just on paper and not really like an actual yeah. value-based company. Yeah, I, I definitely see what you mean being cautiously optimistic. I mean, it's definitely not like, there's not really many parallels to 2007, 2008. I mean, like, you know, with Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers, like you said, they had thousands and thousands of pages of these like completely worthless bundles of subprime mortgages, you know what I mean? Right. That they could, you know, worth absolutely nothing, you know, weren't worth the, the paper they're printed on. And so it's not like that, but also just the, the country is in a worse spot, I'd say, than 2008. I mean, like, obviously we're dealing with record inflation. Um, and just the American people, you know, we've gone through, you know, over two years now of um, encouraged dependence on government, encouraged, you know, staying home from work, all this stuff, all the all the stimulus, all the, the handouts and, and bailouts and all this stuff. So it's like, I don't know if the American people are can handle a recession even as well as the American people handled it, which was not well <laughs> in 2008. So it's like, I don't know. I, there's, there's things to be optimistic about, and then I could see it. I, the, the people in charge are not interested in, in trying to stave off this recession at all. I mean, you're looking at... Um, on the inflation front, I mean, like the Fed, they, they finally raised rates by a quarter of a point. I mean, that's not that's nothing, man. Like if if they were serious about, you know, taking care of inflation, they would have already raised. And they were talking about like half a point or three quarters of a percentage, you know, like massive uh, hikes. You know, we'd need to go to like five, six percent interest to actually cool off the economy. Um, and they're not interested in doing that. And then obviously the Biden administration is not interested in, I mean, they just proposed the, the largest budget in the history of the world. You know, <laughs> they just put off uh, student loan payments until September 1st. I mean, not, I mean, there's people haven't paid their, their loan payments in two and a half years at that point. Um, they're in the process of emptying the strategic oil reserves. So I mean, it's like, you know, I, I know the, the companies and the banks are in a better spot than they were, but it's like, I don't know if the American people generally are. I say we might be worse off than we were in 2008. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I mean, the Biden administration is the most like B team of B teams when oh, it yeah. comes to actually like getting anything done. I mean, those guys, you know, it, it's like the the Obama guy that was getting people coffee is now, you know, chief of staff. And, like yeah. it's just just a it's a whole mess. And if they if we had a serious administration in there with serious people, there might they might make some actual moves that would move the American people along. But 
these people care about one thing and that's staying in power and to the extent that they can move. I mean, this is the same administration. They had it the 4th of July. They wanted everybody to pat them on the back for saving Americans like 16 cents for yeah. their, their <laughs> July 4th barbecues. Yeah. Like, they're not a bunch of serious people. When Jin no. Saki asked about, you know, what, what is, what does inflation look like to the American people? And what, what is the supply chain problem that we're seeing or whatever? Her answer is, okay, you guys are going to have to wait a week or two to get your Peloton. It's like, dude, everyone's not living in Georgetown, like waiting on their Peloton and writing like little articles for CNN and Huffington Post. Like people are serious people with actual jobs that they go and like work with their hands, work with their brains. And they don't just like stand in front of a very friendly press corps and lie to them all day and expect like a pat on the back so that they can go home and sit in front of their Peloton class. Like, give me a break. Yeah. I mean, like, I'd expect that from Jen Psaki, but I mean, it's like anytime you hear like Janet Yellen or uh, or Powell, the the Fed chair, or any of these people talk, you're, you're not feeling very comforted by them either. I mean, it's like these people are, are spewing just economic illiteracy. Um, I mean, Janet the, Yellen the kind of reminds me a lot of like, like an economic Dr. Fauci. Like she yeah, just goes yes. up there and reacts on the news yes. to whatever she sort of sees. And it's like, you know. I too read the Wall Street Journal and could have reacted right. the way I reacted to the, like the way that bond yields are are predicting and thirty year you know thirty year predictions like I also can do that like you yeah. know what I mean so yeah uh, you know. that's actually a, a good that's a good parallel <laughs> Yellen and Fauci yeah. it's like they they know just enough about what they're talking about to like pass on television for the normies. And that's exactly it. like that's exactly. like their exactly knowledge right. of anything is just like a, the depth of a, a intellectual depth of a mud puddle, man. It's not. And these people are you know in control of the economy. It's like, who oh boy, we will. It's, we'll, it's we'll like a, it's happens. like my favorite Trump quote when he was like, he was like, you know, it could go up, it could go down, it could stay the same. <laughs> <laughs> just like, just perfect. Just, yeah, it's like, <laughs> couldn't yeah, agree more. I, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, one dog goes one way, one dog goes the other way. You know, it's, uh, who knows? Well, th- this could end up being good news. Our boy, uh, Elon Musk, is the newest uh, member of Twitter's uh, board of directors. So, I uh, I, know, I know it's 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 typical that you know the a company's largest shareholders on the board, but I just kind of assumed Twitter would get out of that somehow. I didn't think they let they let this guy within a hundred miles of that boardroom. But uh, yeah, man, we'll we'll see what uh see what our dude uh, gets done over there. Yeah, I know it's interesting, right? Like he jumps in Twitter. Twitter has like its biggest surge in years. Twenty six percent. Yeah. How it ended up finally yeah. being twenty six percent. Yeah. Amazing. And I wish I'd have definitely yeah, bought some call options on that. Anyways, the um, yeah. So he jumps in. I mean, I think it's I think it's really fascinating. I mean, Twitter has been in a censorship death spiral for years now, where the rules don't make any sense. I mean, you can, you know, if you dead name a trans person, you get banned for life, but you can post like, uh, you know, a, a nude, you know, like right. there's just like massive, like there's just massive issues where the rules don't make sense and people's entire careers can be dictated. I mean, if you're a comms person on the Hill and you get banned for life on Twitter and you try to like, I mean, you're, you got to change careers, man. Yeah. So, I mean, I, there's just a lot of issues and I, I don't think like not having clear cut rules and having this sort of back, back of the woods sort of like you know guy behind the curtain deciding what 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 matters is censorship what doesn't and how they want to stream and um you know conduct information i think is just hugely problematic i mean the new i mean you and i talked about this before but the new york post story is insane about the hunter biden's laptop and how they decided as a collective to just dethrottle that story entirely and we spent four years listening to these people talk about how the russians were manipulating our election and Donald Trump and blah, 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 blah. And then we openly hear about how these guys out in Silicon Valley decided, actually, we're going to just take a very important story, bury it on behalf of the Biden, you know, the Biden campaign and ultimately now the Biden administration. It's just it's tough to take it all seriously. So it's good to see like an eccentric billionaire jump into the void and say, look, like, I think I can do something productive here. And, you know, whether or not he does anything, whatever, but it it is interesting watching their meltdown yeah. about what they think could happen because it's sort of revealing like, oh, gosh, like if this place becomes actually inclusive with a whole range of viewpoints, then it sort of, you know, it becomes more fair. I mean, wasn't it like the the 
the show wasn't it like the, the the president of Iran Iran still on Twitter saying like death oh, yeah. to America. Yeah, I mean the Krem- the Kremlin is on Twitter. Yeah, which is I mean, shocking. Yeah, I mean it's the the reaction from the left is just amazing. It really is incredible. And uh, Michael Malice tweeted something yesterday that really it encapsulates why the left is so upset about this. And he said, uh, I, I forget exactly, wh- I, I should I should have had the exact quote in front of me, but he, it was something along the lines of, you know, Elon Musk buying shares of Twitter is analogous to statues being torn down for, for the right. You know what I mean? Like the, the desanctification and invasion of spaces that they regard as sacred. You know what I mean? And I think that's that's perfect. I think that's 100% true. The Democrats cannot handle any non-leftist having any kind of influence in the world of big tech or academia or, or just the culture generally. You know, like they're spitting mad that that old old Ben Shapiro at the Daily Wire is making movies now. You know, like they can't handle it. Like one like Elon Musk is not some like Republican conservative or anything. He's just not just like a foaming at the mouth leftist. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like one non commie is on Twitter's board and they can't handle it. You know, they've had complete control over these spaces for decades. And they honestly believe that control of these institutions, control of the culture, is their birthright as a Democrat. Like, they, they think they're owed it. And they feel insulted that anybody would would challenge their, their monopolistic control over these institutions. It's like, like, they take it personal. They take it as, like, a personal insult. No, I mean, it is it is interesting, right? Like... The more economic spaces that conservatives actually try to challenge these people and win or 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 at least like take away any level of market share, I think is when you're going to really start to see the actual unraveling of some of these institutional grapple holds where corporations for the longest time thought, okay, if I just come and I just follow the crazy woke people and get those people in, the conservatives are never going to leave because they have no alternatives. You know, the NFL is a great example of that. Right. But when conservatives start saying, you know, screw it, man, I'm just going to take my business elsewhere. You, I mean, you saw it with the Daily Wire with, um, you know, to, you know, to pull your same example with the, the razor thing. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah. that dude, <laughs> apparently, according to some of the people that I've talked to that work there, I mean, they've they've eclipsed like crazy amounts of <laughs> yeah. subscriptions already. Yeah. That would make Mark Cuban jump in on the company. Like, it's yeah. it's crazy. And, and And that's the truth, dude. I mean, think about it. Right. Like. If I, on the one hand, I have this company that's going to tell me, like, I'm a Nazi for, you know, not believing in Joe Biden fully, you know, or whatever. Am I going to buy their stuff if I've got a, an alternative that's exactly the same? No, absolutely not. Why, why wouldn't I take the alternative? You know, when you have these companies that just tell you that you're a bad person just by who you are and what you look like and all that kind of stuff. And you can just take your cash and spend your cash at a different spot. You can do that every day of the week. And I think conservatives are waking up and realizing, like, if I get the right business loans and I put the right capital behind this and just replace these, you know, replace a choice here, conservatives are going to take that choice. People are people are sick of this, man. They're absolutely sick of it. Yeah. Yeah, man. And certainly with programming. I mean, you know, you talk about some of the crazy stuff that you have to see. I mean, I'm all for I'm all for inclusiveness. You know, I, I, I was like. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to get into like the actual positions that I hold on certain things just because of, of my my job and right. the things that you have to profess to work my job. But I'm just saying like they're, you know, I'm pretty inclusive with my approach to things. And even then, like some of the things that like people want their kids to see or allow their kids to see, I'm like, I don't I just don't know about that. I don't know that I'm going <laughs> to let my little daughter, or my little son see that at four years old versus like discussing it with them at like 15 or 16 when. Yeah. Now, those are actual things that they can cognitively understand and make discernments about versus it being malleable. I mean, if you just think about these things, I mean, it's an economic choice. And I love I love when like conservative type people or at least people that are liberty minded, like Elon Musk are jumping in saying, actually, there there is space here for everybody. And we need to be at least at least from like an open sourcing, like he was sort of tweeting about with Jack Dorsey about open sourcing the code on Twitter so that people could understand what, what are even the rules here? Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to get to the kids stuff here in, you know, specifically down in Florida here in a minute, but like in terms of, I, I, it was fun. The, the daily wire razor company thing is hilarious. And it's like their whole pitch is brilliant. Cause it, they're not, I mean, they're not like 
putting like conservative propaganda in like their stuff they're selling for, for like shaving cream and razors and stuff like that. But they're just like, buy razors from a company that doesn't hate you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, that's a super effective sales pitch, man. Because that's all these, these woke, you know, these companies that are bowing to the woke mob. And they're just like, they have to, to pay fealty to the left, they have to just go online and tell conservatives how much they hate them. You know, but it's like the market share, the, the Democrats freaking out over these market shares is hilarious because it's like, like Daily Wire making kids programming that, I mean, they'd be lucky to carve out like a 2% market share in the next several years. You know what I mean? We're talking about like a minuscule market share. They just can't handle that number, their share of the market being under 100%. I mean, there's 12 people, people on Twitter's board and 11, I'm sure, I'm positive that the other 11 outside of Elon Musk are hardcore Democrats, hardcore leftists and Biden voters and all that. And that's not good enough. Like 11 out of 12. It's just so funny to me, man, because we on the right, like we our our mindset is completely the opposite. They, they can't handle that, that 11 out of 12 people on the board agree with them. You know, it's like, I remember with the movie Dunkirk, which is a fantastic movie, by the way, but it's like when that came out a few years ago, like every movie is full of like lefty propaganda. Everything looks exactly how the left wants. And Hollywood went into convulsions because Dunkirk, a movie about the British Army in 1940, right? Okay. A movie about the British Army in 1940 didn't have enough black actors in it. And it was like this whole thing. It was like a week-long news cycle, how bad... Every, I forget, did Nolan make Dunkirk, I think? How bad he is, how bad the movie is, because there isn't enough black dudes in it. It's like, guys, like every everything cultural must be exactly the way that way-too-online Democrats want, or they freak out. There's <laughs> like, even more extreme examples than that. There, I oh, mean, yeah. Think about the, the just the godchild of the left, a man who Barack Obama talked about is the, is the most— the songbird of our generation, the smartest man of our generation, the most clever of our generation, <laughs> Lynn manuel Miranda, was canceled yeah. for in the Heights not having enough dark, not not just not having enough, like, you know, Hispanic people, which the, the movie is exclusively Hispanic Latino people, with the exception yeah. of two very annoying white people who <laughs> get an apartment in front of like one of the, the, the Latino ladies who tries to or Latino ladies who trying to get the apartment and, and they get it, which is like, it's a really funny because like, if you lived in New York, you understand like they applied, they probably had 17 times the income based upon like how they're kind of set up is like they show up in like a Rolls Royce, but whatever, like they show up, they do this thing. She's trying to pay in cash. They're the bad guys. They're the only two white people in the entire movie. And Lin-Manuel Miranda was canceled for not having enough really dark-skinned Latino and Caribbean-type people in his movie. And he, Amazing. instead of being like, this is who I decided to cast in my movie, and this is, like, what I wanted it to look like, he had to go and apologize <laughs> and say that he is going off very, like, cultural revolution-esque where he's going to, like, self-flagellate, being like, I apologize, and I will go and reflect on my choices, and da 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 it's amazing. It's it's actually insane the times that we live in. Yeah, it's it's just funny. Like, if the Democrats have ninety nine percent control over an institution, they, it's like a catastrophe for them. On the right, it's the exact. I mean, like that mindset is so foreign to me. Like needing this like intellectual purity, it is so foreign to me. I mean, like the right celebrates Elon Musk, who is like at best a moderate, just because he doesn't hate us. <laughs> like that's it. Like that's the bar. Right. That is the bar. That's that's how low the bar for celebration is on the right. Like when a Democratic president is elected, Democrats expect like radical leftist change, you know, like socialized health care, ban student loans, you know, all these government handouts. They want trans propaganda everywhere. Dude, when Trump was elected, I was like, I will be thrilled if he doesn't start a new war. That's it. I was like, that was, and like that's the talk. That's the, that's the talking point right now on, on you know among the Trump fans. Like Trump was so great because he didn't start another war. It's like we will celebrate if a president does not slaughter a new group of innocent women and children for no reason. You know I, mean? I literally it's, Trump it's, was elected. I think it was maybe like two months two months into his presidency that they you know he hadn't really done much other than like repeal a bunch of regulations and. Do you know? Remember how he like brought in all like the pick, you know, the, the stacks and stacks of paper, being like, "This is how many federal re regulations we removed this week yeah. to like make life easier for everybody." And all these lefty, like, and, and it was like back at the very beginning where he kept leaving to go play golf all the time. 
And I remember writing, I wrote an article for maybe it was the Washington Examiner or the Hill or somewhere who, who the hell knows. And my article is like, dude, when Trump's golfing, he's not governing. This is good. Yes. And I and like just laid it out as like a president doesn't need to be legislating every day from the Oval Office. Like it's great when the president is not doing anything and allowing the American people to do their thing. Like obviously there's things like that if you're not paying attention to, that's bad. But to the extent that the president doesn't have some sort of national crisis or some sort of international crisis to focus on, I would rather them just be a dude in a room with a nuclear football and like being, you know, fielding calls from governors when they need it versus like signing executive orders, doing wholesale changes to the way that this country's governed. That's crazy. Yeah. It's just a it's just a, a complete reverse of of mentalities on the right and the left. I mean, like the left expects everything, everything all the time to quote the Eagles. It's like they just want they believe they're owed whatever they want, whatever the leftist talking point of the week is. They're owed that. Like, it's a travesty if they don't get that. They don't get what they want, right? They're like little children. You know what I mean? It's like they must have what they want right now. And I'm like, man, if if you know if a, a Republican is elected governor of Ohio, I'm like, just don't raise my taxes. Like, you don't even need to do anything good. Just, like, don't do evil stuff. Like, just don't, like, drastically <laughs> expand government and make me poorer. Like, that's, you know what I mean? It's like the bar is so low. And it's like, I, I can't. I mean, I mean, it must be frustrating to be, like, pissed off all the time, you know? Like, because, like, you know, Democrats, you, you never get exactly what you want, right? Like, even Obama, like, he did all a bunch of lefty stuff, and it wasn't it wasn't quite socialized health care, you know? So it's like they're just they're pissed off at that. It's like, man, they can never just take a dub. Like, just, they have to. They, 11 out of 12 members of Twitter's board of directors is not enough. They need all 12. And it's like they, they will settle at nothing less than all 12. And it's not just Twitter. It's everything. And it's like, that's just such a foreign it's, concept it's worse, to me. It's worse than that too, right? Because then the way that the left works, right, is it's like we need 12 ideological, like this, this is the trajectory of leftism, right? Yeah. You have Twitter, Twitter's formed, 12 hyper-liberal people form the Twitter board, okay? You know, the next step of that 12 hyper-liberal whatever is they get the purge because the 12 don't naturally make up the geographic and gender breakdown of America. And so they have to purge it to make it look that way. And yeah. so they have this like ideological demographic purity and they just keep moving down and down the, down the line until they like purge. I mean, luck, you know, luckily you got some justices and, and, and judges around the country that are pushing back on some of this stuff. But dude, the way the purity test on the left is crazy. And it's funny when you see like adults who have been in the room for a long time bow to this stuff because you're like, dude, they're going to hunt you in just a few minutes. Like yeah. you survived purge one purge two is going to be worse than that because they're going to just straight call you a racist. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah, I'm glad that you, you know, you, you went after Elon Musk and you're, you can be like, Oh my God, I can't believe we'd allow this billionaire on here. But like, they're going to eat you in just a minute. Just, yeah, it's an Ouroboros. Like it doesn't stop. Like there's no, I mean, there's no like, you know, they, they leftism means taking everything to its logical conclusion, which is just chaos. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And a great example of all of this, I think, is is the uh, all the the hubbub around uh, Ron DeSantis. I mean, he's enemy number one um, for obvious reasons. He's you know uh, very conservative. Um, he he agrees with Trump on a lot of the Trumpy stuff, and he agrees with like traditional conservatives on a lot of their stuff, and he agrees with libertarians on a lot of their stuff, and he's also like really smart, which the Democrats hate, you know, because Trump's kind of an idiot and doesn't really know what he's doing, and this guy has a lot of those same positions, but knows how to get it done. Like he was in Congress for ten years, so like he's you know he must be stopped if you're a Democrat. But like the Democrats lied about this bill that that DeSantis signed into law um, for months. I mean they were they were spewing propaganda about this. Um, the law just protects five-year-olds, you know, five to nine-year-olds from from trans propaganda in schools. You know, the Democrats called it the Don't Say Gay bill, which is ridiculous. They whipped their base up into a frenzy like they always do. And in response, Republicans started calling them groomers, which, in my opinion, is absolutely correct. Not sure what else you're supposed to call somebody who wants to teach kindergartners about gay sex and gender transition surgeries behind their parents' backs. So, like, if that's not grooming, at least political grooming, I don't know what is. But the Democrats are super—I mean, they're butthurt about this. I mean, how dare they call us groomers because we're trying to turn their children into widgets in the Democratic power machine? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like the fascinating thing to me is all the typical offenders on the right 
are all debating amongst themselves whether or not calling groomers groomers is going a bit too far. And it's like, man, I hate seeing this because this is the mentality that just kills the right. I mean, this is why Republicans always lose. It's like, just take the win, man. Take like the, the Florida law is extremely popular when people actually find out, when people actually read it. And if you oppose it, you're literally trying to groom children. So I'm not, I don't really see a problem with calling these people what they are. No, so it's always it's always fascinating, right? Like our parents' generation was of the generation, you know, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, yep. Jesus is great, good dude, love it. Yes. And our, our parents' generation was of this like really soft core Christian mindset that was like, hey, man, let's just like love everybody. Let's all stand around like the little the little parachute thing and we'll just rip the parachute up in the air and down and keep a ball on top of it. And we're all friends here. It's the whole country's American We're it's going to be the greatest thing ever. And we watched systematically over time, how our parents country from like the nineties, for example, looks dramatically different. The things that are considered socially acceptable in the public square of like to say and think are so dramatically far opposed to conservatism and Christianity I mean, they just lost in every single way. And the reason yeah. why, because they were the softest, most just, uh, who almost said that that would have been cancelable, a very <laughs> soft, a very soft, just soft way of like, you know, going about the public square, like the Bill Crystals of the world. Yeah. Just soft, bad faith losers. They just lost for, for 20, 30 years. And I mean, uh, you know, a great example that I, I, I like to bring up is, is like the Dave French's of the world. Dave oh. French wrote this thing. that was like, we got to bring back decency to the White House and, and all this like nonsense. Right. And we he's, get my, it, you know. he's my lead. David French is my least favorite political commentator of all time. Like literally nobody. And I, I don't really get angry when discussing politics, but that guy will like I have to check myself because I when I read his stuff, I will get angry because he is such a dishonest prick who truly hates. I mean, like I've you and I've never hated anything or anyone. Like David French hates us, like he hates Republicans, he hates Christians, he ha- he hates us. And he, like it's it's this all-consuming hatred that has just poisoned that man into oblivion. Like it is, it's been fascinating to watch his descent into madness over the last several years. Like I swear, Trump just broke that man. Well, it's just like the softest. It's the softest bit of nonsense, right? Like yeah. he he is the same guy. Like what I was gonna say is like he's the same guy that said, hey. We need Biden because we need a return to decency. We need a return to decency. We were told we need decency in the White House. That's what that's what matters in the White House. It's decency. And, you know, all of us were sitting here like just to be clear. And in, you and I have discussed this at length before. The president is one dude that hangs out in the Oval Office and runs around and like talks to people on the phone, I guess. The person brings with them an army of people who bring out every position held by like the democratic national committee. Yeah. That's what happens or the Republican national committee. It's not, you know, it's not one, you know, Barack, you know, Barack Obama wasn't sitting in there being like, Hey, I want to, I want to screw with title nine or, Hey, I want to like do all these things. Like I want to, you know, fix like this oil regulation or whatever. Like that was some crazy person that that's their thing. And they, they subbed out the Republican and they moved in the Democrat and that person executed their own agenda. And when we all said to him, like, hey, man, maybe you don't like Trump sitting in the Oval Office, like tweeting. But with Trump comes like an army of people that are, you know, that care about this country, that want to remove regulations, that want to protect religious liberty, that want to protect free speech for all people. And you're going to sub them out for these crazy lunatics from Brown and all, you know, all these like crazy liberal arts colleges. And they're going to come be staffers and they're going to execute what it is that they believe with, you know, with like the stamp of approval coming from the White House. And that's going to be law in this country and admin law. And we all said that. And when, you know, when Biden comes out and like one of his first acts was to do something to you know protect women's right to an abortion. And and you saw like the David French's of the world be like, oh, I just can't believe he'd do that. And it's like, <laughs> are you are you kidding? What are a you, childlike view are of the world. Are you kidding? Like not only not, not only would you have to be just crazy naive about politics in this country, but you would have to be so like purposefully yes. stupid yes. to believe that because it's a choice. I, you know, yeah, it's a choice. It's yeah, like you made so the I, conscious choice to buy into the lefty propaganda. David French wrote yesterday. He wrote he literally wrote a piece yesterday. I kid you not. 
he, talking about how Republicans should never criticize uh, the Democrats, you know, who want to like convince five year olds to chop their dicks off behind their parents' backs. They should never criticize the Democrats for grooming kids because Donald Trump cheated on his wife. Dude, anytime it's someone like, makes dude, a, what the are you Donald- doing? Like, what do you like? Trump is yeah. gone. He's banned from the entire Internet. Like David French won, man. David French got his guy, Joe Biden, elected. He got he got Trump, the guy he hates more than anybody, banned for life from the entire Internet. OK, like, David, you won. OK, like, why are you still talking about Trump? It's oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, he I, you know, I can't I can't tell if it's just like actual stupidity, willful stupidity. Or if he's just like a bad person, but he is not a very sophisticated person anymore. And I think that all of these people, like that generation of writers and like, quote unquote, thinkers like the Bill Crystals of the world, the David French's of the world. They're so used to these like. Where people look to them for their import and say, like, these guys, they're sophisticated, whatever, whatever. And, you know, they will be like our leading light of of thoughtfulness. We're going to they're going to have people pay to go on like little cruises with them and hear their thoughts and be around them yeah. like they're just like intellectual superstars. And I think our generation has made the assessment that's like, what what did you guys do? Like the reason why the Alexander Hamiltons or whatever are revered for their writing and their thinking is because not only was their writing and thinking like really thoughtful, well-written or whatever, but it actually moved the ball yeah. and moved people to act in a certain way that that protected our interests. You know, how how can you point to any single win from any of these people over their entire careers. I mean, Bill Crystal is still trying to get us into some different war any given day. And I, I, I think that David French's pieces lately are just sort of like, uh, we should be nice to everybody, but only criticizing him when we're mean and not being like, hey, by the way, the fact that they literally took Brett Kavanaugh and accused him of gang rape and ran that on every news station across the country for two weeks. And then ultimately put him on the Supreme Court in, in a, an attempt to delegitimize any ruling that he ever made and embarrass him. Uh, yeah, maybe that was a problem. And we should have, like, fought that pretty hard. And instead, I, I mean, all of his pieces from that time were just the, the softest, milquetoast nonsense. But whatever. It's made him lazy, too. It's made, I mean, not just David French, all these guys. Like, it has made him lazy. And, I mean, most of them have actually just switched parties. I mean, like, Bill Crystal's a registered Democrat now. Um, I mean, I'm sure guys like Goldberg and French voted for Joe Biden. I'm, they're probably not registered Democrats, but they you know, obviously have been. They voted for Clinton and, and Biden. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else you have to do to 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 you know be a Democrat than vote for Democrats for president. But like, and also they just they've made them so intellectually lazy. There was a debate a couple months ago between Bill Kristol and uh, Scott Horton from Antiwar.com, um, and it was pathetic, man. I mean, obviously, I agree with the anti-war position, like, and I think most people do at this point. But it's like Bill Crystal literally would—I mean, Scott Horton was was running circles around him, and Bill Crystal would—he kept saying things like, "Well, I'll agree to disagree on that," and and Scott and the entire audience is like, "What? Like this is <laughs> bro, this is a debate. You don't agree? No, like we don't we don't agree on this. That's why we're debating. Why don't you back up your position?" And he had nothing. Uh, he was just—he'd be like, "Well, nope, I disagree. Let's agree to disagree and move on." It's like that, bro. You wh- what? Like that's, that's, that's like that's insane. Why would you agree to an Oxford-style debate if you're gonna show up and agree to disagree? It's like these people have been just—I don't know, man. They're just fat and happy and lazy. They've gotten used to their little role as controlled opposition, you know, for the last couple decades. And I don't know—they're just not challenged. You know, they're—they're. They're, I mean, that—that's what you see on the left a lot too with these writers. That they're just not challenged, they never debate, and they just don't know how anymore. And I mean, that's definitely infiltrating the right as well, at least the never Trump right. So I, so you hit you hit the nail right on the head, um, and you might not even have realized it because of the story I'm about to tell you. The thing <laughs> right. that I always tell when someone's like when, talk, when people talking about like kind of the never Trump kind of conservative people that are just like they're, they're just losers and they have been losers for a long time now, um, and their relevance kind of died with like the Weekly Standard and some of those like old school things where you could mail in an article for like $5,000 and work like, you know, once a quarter and make, make a pretty good living. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, and, you know, like these things where they go, I mean, you know, your listeners might not know cause they're, you know, they're not as like tuned into what we are, but I mean, there used to be entire conservative publications that would just host these like meet and greets on like cruise ships or yeah. whatever. 
and you know old school people would pay money to be amongst like the David French's of the world and meet and greet and you know oh gosh I loved your article about the whatever and then pay them like good money to be on these things and that's the kind of the whole thing and so one time I got invited to this barbecue um, for a friend of mine and Bill Crystal was there and it was the perfect just portrait of what was happening <laughs> in our in our like modern days Bill Crystal was holding a old copy like a multiple day old copy of the wall street journal that he clearly had not read under one of his <laughs> arms. Okay. And he's standing over in the corner by himself at a big party. A lot of people, a lot of people talking, oh, a lot of people no. drinking, a lot of good time. We're all chatting. He's by himself. And on his plate, he's got three hot dogs and he is just engorging himself on these three hot dogs while he's standing alone in the corner of this party. And I just was like, that's it right there. You just, <laughs> you got, you got, you got fat on the hog. Like you said, yeah. And you just know your relevance is shot. No one cares because everyone kind of knows your opinions and it's it's not interesting. It's not moving the ball. And you're ostracized of a party from your own making. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was pretty it was pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like it's funny and you saw their reaction anytime like when Trump was president, like anytime something I mean, it's like they try to hide that they were Democrats for a long time. I mean, I guess like I mean, the the neoconservative movement came out of the Democratic Party in the '60s. I mean, they they were, dem they were left wing Democrats that became Republicans because Republicans started warming up to war, <laughs> you know, and they they really wanted war, and that's where the neocons came from. And you know, from the Democratic Party they they came, and from the to the Democratic Party they will return <laughs> apparently. And uh, but it's like you you saw any time like uh, Trump would get something through Congress they would just find any way to poke holes in it and like the tax cuts were bad because whatever and you know like any you know amy coney barrett had these problems and kavanaugh and, and all that you saw some of them saying that kavanaugh should have dropped out for for unity's sake for niceness sake for you know whatever to bring the country together kavanaugh should should you know pull out and, and just have somebody else go, go to the bench and it's like man you people like you just you either are just operatives of the left just wholesale, or you enjoy losing. You enjoy that role. And so you see it, like, on the libertarian side, like, from, like, Reason Magazine and Cato sometimes. Like, they had, um, they had, I forget who, it was one of the editors from Reason. Um, they wrote a piece for, I think, the Washington Post. And it was, like, it was during COVID. It was, like, the libertarian case for mask mandates <laughs> or something. <laughs> it's like they brought, they brought this, like, quote-unquote libertarian from Reason to, like, just say that Joe Biden's doing great, you know, and, and Fauci's great. And the guy was like, okay, sure. Sure, I'll, I'll do that. I'll be like the token libertarian statist. You know, it's like, I don't know, these guys, I think it's just if you live, is it just Washington, D.C., man? Is it just proximity to power? Like, if you live in the Beltway, you just become like that eventually. I'll, I'll you just you, give I'll up your principles. I'll tell you what it is, man. It's it's really funny. Like, you you have benefited as a writer and a thinker from not being anywhere near there. When you go there, there is this there is this drive amongst the people that if you can just navigate this sweet, sweet line between being like a hardcore Republican and like a progressive that you're like thought of as, you know, Tyler, he's got a he's got a good head on his shoulder. If you can find that line, wherever it is, you're going to be invited to all the parties. You're going to be invited to all the concerts. You're going to be invited to. You know, the Georgetown cocktail party is not like a thing, but I mean, there are, there are very notable parties that take place in Washington that if you're like a who's who you get invited and you get to go and you get to be cool and schmoozed and schmooze and meet on like stars and actors and all that kind of stuff. And so there's this tendency to try to find that sweet spot. And so there, there are times, man, I, I've been offered them. Other people have been offered them. And if you write this very particular thing, you can get in the Washington post, your life is going to be changed. You can get in the New York times, your life's going to be changed. All that kind of stuff. What people don't realize though, is that, you know, it's like it's like the old quote, man, opinions are like assholes, man. Everybody's got one. And if they're yeah. looking for they're looking to, like, get a particular one, they can just any any person can write any particular thing. And the thing that you submit to the New York Times editor is going to be whatever they wanted it to look like anyways. And so people try to navigate this line thinking that they're going to be the guy. They're going to be the Olivia Newsy of the world that gets, you know, she gets her little articles in her little magazine and then she gets on TV and stuff, you know, like dude, it's not going to happen. They're never going to love you. And they're never going to love you if you're a sincere person. Like the reason why people love sincere people is because like they're earnest and they have like 
a love for country and a love for their families and things that make sense. And they're not just, I, I got to churn out this thing. So like, maybe I can get that cool New York times byline, like people that are consistent <laughs> and care, like those people are successful and people love being around those people, man. The, the guy that writes the libertarian article for the mass mandate, like the second I figured <laughs> out who that was, I'd be like, you're not a serious person. No. And like, you're just wrong, you know? Yeah. It's like the the whole, I mean, these people like David French, it's like they, their entire profession at this point is just writing the conservative case for, and then just like the worst horrible predations of the left. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, so he already yeah. wrote like, just real quick before I let you go, Tyler, like obviously yesterday he wrote, I'm paraphrasing the conservative case for letting Democrats chop off the penises of five-year-olds behind their parents' backs. Right. So that, that's what, that's what David French believes. So like fast forward six months. Fast forward six months. What? Just I need a prediction from you. David French will write the conservative case for blank. I mean, don't 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 hold back because like he he just wrote the conservative case for grooming children, five year olds. So like it it might get wild, bro. It might get really weird. Dude, I I could totally see something that's like the Democratic case for the Department of Education mandating educational curriculum that comes from like Stacey Abrams, like <laughs> just some like crazy. I mean, dude, yeah. it, there's no depths, which by the way, if your listeners haven't checked it out, speaking of our boy DeSantis, who is the man and he's, he's in my, he's in my top, my triumvirate, if you will, for who I want to be president in 2024. 100%. But dude, your listeners got to jump on, uh, the song sweet Florida, which just came out. <laughs> have you heard the song? No, I have not. <laughs> it is. I think there's a line in there that says our, 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 our hero, our fearless leader, Ron DeSantis, red, white, and blue bald Eagles too, or something like that. <laughs> but it's, it's a, it's in, it's like kind of country Florida, Georgia, Florida, Georgia line esque, And it's pretty funny. Oh, <laughs> I, I highly Dude, recommend <laughs> the, the, the wide breadth of people that like Ron DeSantis. I like, I've never seen a guy on the right be this unifying for all, all the different factions on the right. I mean, like, dude, I, I've talked to, I mean, I was talking to, I said this on the podcast, like, last month, I, I had, I was talking to Jim Garrity from National Review, he was singing DeSantis's praises, and then, like, a week later, I had Clint Russell, who's an anarchist, but he lives in Miami, you know, he's, in, he's a hardcore anarchist, and he, he loves DeSantis, <laughs> he's like, this I'm guy's great, about it, about it this way. it's like, holy crap, man, like, Clint <laughs> and Jim, like, dude, I, those guys don't agree on anything, <laughs> except for Ron DeSantis, it's fascinating, man. Think, think about the contrast here. You had Gavin Newsom in California that had cops swim out to arrest a yes. dude on paddleboard by himself like a month into COVID. Could you imagine what Andrew Gillum would have done to the state of Florida Probably if meth. he had been elected governor? It'd be, it'd be horrible. Like it was maybe I think it was like eight days or something like that that Florida implemented like the the hardcore COVID restrictions, no one could go anywhere. Everything's closed. Playgrounds are locked up or whatever. And then Ron DeSantis went, that is insane. None of this <laughs> sense. We're going to open everything back up, do whatever you guys need to do. We're going to make this make sense for people. And they did. Florida has boomed yeah. while other states have just absolutely busted. And I think that you're going to see going into 2024 that that message resonates with people. People realized I want a government that kind of stays out of the way that helps us out if we, you know, if we really, really need it, but actually kind of stays out of the way and lets us kind of run things. Cause when we run things, they're better. And I, I love, I love more than anything going into the fall with DeSantis versus whoever prevails among the, the tallest midgets between Nikki Freed and Charlie Crist. Just a real cast um, of characters. I mean, the, the dumbest, the dumbest people. Okay. Yeah, the, absolutely. The dumbest people. Um, but, uh, you know, they're going to run on the message of this don't say gay bill thing. And they polled Florida voters about it. And Florida voters were like, no, we uh, we support DeSantis in this. And they still they still double down on it because they want those national media spots. It's the funniest thing, dude. So it's not, it's, it's like a 70 30 issue. Yeah. I mean, people it's like <laughs> it's, if, if they took like the LGBT thing out of it and just said, we don't want our kids to talk to about sex. But as a kindergartner through third Five, grader, yeah, K through like, three, we don't want that. We don't want that. That's that. That's the end of the game. They had they added it to be like, oh well, it's specifically gay stuff. It's like actually, we just don't want we don't want y'all talking to them about sex. These that's are pre-pubescent children. 
They don't yeah, even know. They don't, what, they don't know anything. They won't understand what's going on. Yeah, dude. Like, at home, you know, you have like the no-no zone discussion. Obviously, you have to have the discussion as early as like you feel like your child can understand that. But you have that conversation, right? And then you know, like maybe fifth grade, you have kind of a more enhanced no-no zone discussion. And then, like, you know, middle school, you can kind of have, like, a more serious discussion because kids can understand that stuff. Yeah. Like, have have these Democrats never met a first grader? Like, that they would they would look at you like, I'm, what? They, like, it's 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 manipulative. Dude, it's it's absolutely craziness. And they, and they know it, too, deep down. They're just embarrassed, and they're, they're embarrassed that they're getting beat. So, yeah. anyways. And David French took their side because. Of, of course he did. Of course he did. <laughs> just can't help himself. Of course he did. So I, David, I usually David. ask you to uh, give all your like social media plugs, but you're not. You're on Instagram. You want people to follow you on Instagram? I know you're not really on Twitter anymore. Yeah, jump on the Instagram. I, I think I'm going to jump back on Twitter. I, like I said, um, I finished up some projects. I've been I've been ghostwriting for a couple people and I've finished some of those projects. So I'm, I'm making the move back. I might I might start talking again. I mean, you, you know how it is, man. I you know I work in big law and you know I I I often joke with people that if I were to walk into the office and express like, uh, you know an anti-abortion position, I would probably be fired within the week. But if I, you know, if I walked in there and I was like, had dyed my hair purple and like <laughs> draped myself in like an LGBTQ flag and said, I got an abortion this morning, they probably would add me to the diversity committee. Like, it's just, it's a very, it's a very different type of way of practicing. So you got to just be really, really be careful as a conservative when you work in hyper liberal places, because they just don't care. You know, and if you go from if they fear any sort of reprisal from any client of any sort at your expense, they're like, Tyler's not worth it to us. We can sub him out for another warm body that understands remotely the law and we can save money. So it's 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 not easy, man. So I'm, I try to be try to be careful as I've worked like a new job just to make sure I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. So, you know, oh, you, know sure. how you know that. Well, everybody follow Tyler on uh, Instagram so you can see how ridiculous he would look if he uh, dressed up like a purple-haired leftist. Yeah, I'd look all right. I mean, you're like a very clean-cut dude, and you're also, like, jacked. So, like, that that's just a hilarious, hilarious thing to picture. You're just showing yeah. up like a a typical uh, code pink protester or whatever the heck it's called. Well, yeah, we still got to meet up, man, and get the, get done with the— we got we to gotta drink to a football season, fantasy season being over, and— Maybe we'll take a we'll take a plane up. Oh heck yeah, man! And do some hunting or fishing. Either one. Right. All right. Everybody, uh, go to Instagram, follow Tyler. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. <laughs>